As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open it up, turn it on to Hebrews chapter 1 today. Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to primarily be in verses 1 through 4 of Hebrews chapter 1. I first noticed it while I was walking my Labrador alley in the evenings. I would go past this home down the street from my house, and I noticed that the front room, the blinds were always up, and the light was always on, and in that room, there appeared to be like a shrine. There were candles, and there were statues, and so I could tell that it was somewhat of a worship room in that home, and so I began praying for that house, and as I would walk my dog periodically, I would see that house, and one night, there was a man in the room, and I could see him as he was bowing before these idols that he had, and he appeared to be praying. And I thought to myself, you know, this is a little bit odd, because I'm praying to my God for him, and he's praying to his gods. You know, maybe he's looking out the window and praying for me, I I don't know, but, uh, you know, what's the difference between my prayer and, and his prayer? Well, my mind immediately uh, move towards the Ten Commandments. And you remember one of the Ten Commandments is do not make any graven images. Uh, do not uh, make idols. Do not worship these things. And I, I recalled how all throughout the Bible there is kind of a sinfully magnetic pull for people to worship statues or to worship what we call idols. I remember two stories in the scriptures, one in Acts chapter 17 where Paul is in the ancient city of Athens and he runs into the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers and he begins sharing the Christian faith with them. So they call him up to this hill that is known today as Mars Hill and he begins his sermon to them and he essentially says, I've noticed that all throughout your city there are these idols, these works of art that you worship and that you have crafted from human hands. And I even noticed that one of them says that it is is to the unknown God. And then Paul says, let me tell you about that unknown God. Let me tell you about Jesus. And I remember in 1 Kings chapter 18, when Elijah is dealing with King Ahab and the prophets of Baal, or Baal, and and he he goes up to Mount Carmel, and he begins to have a showdown with these prophets who worshipped idols, and all day long, the prophets of, of Baal are crying out to their God, and asking for him to answer their prayer, and and Elijah, it's it's a pretty neat story, you can can read it sometime, not now, but read it sometime, okay, and and Elijah actually starts trash-talking them, he starts basically saying, uh, why isn't your God speaking? Uh, maybe he's asleep. Maybe, uh, maybe this is in the Bible. Maybe he's going to the bathroom and he can't hear you right now. So why is it that there seems to be in our sinful default this tendency to worship made-up gods or to worship idols? A couple reasons. Number one, 
because they are inanimate. They don't speak. And if they don't speak, there's, there's no life there, and so they demand only what you give. And so subtly, you can stay in control. You don't have to totally submit. And number two, uh, we make them. So when it comes to idols, human beings shape them. In fact, if you look at the history of idols, they often became works of art, and people would make idols out of things that they aspired to be or aspects of the culture that were beyond them and whose power was overwhelming. Now, in Western culture, there's not many that worship statues, but there are many who are worshiping idols. Our idols become people and things, often people and things that allow us to escape and dream. So stick with me here. For some, money, power, and fame, you worship it because you believe that it can lead you to a new life. There's many in in our culture that live through celebrities Why does anyone care that Ben Affleck went shirtless and now has a new tattoo? Or that Megan, am I saying it right? Megan Markle, the Prince Harry? Markle, okay. Megan Markle's, who pays for Megan Markle's royal wardrobe? Those are actual headlines from people.com yesterday. I mean, who really cares? Why? Because many people admire or aspire to be like them. And so it allows people to escape our mundane lives and dream. And in a subtle way, it connects you back to idolatry that's been around for years and years. We begin to fashion our idols from our imaginations and we shape them in our dreams in order to escape the reality that I am an incapable sinner in need of a capable Savior. Now, people have been doing this for 6,000 years. Today, Amazon.com has drones that can deliver your package to the front door. Yet, idols still don't speak to the soul. Human beings are still the same sinners. We need forgiveness, and we long for a new spiritual life. And the reality is, is that that new life will never be found through worshiping the creations of human hands. Human creations merely reflect the darkness that is within us. So new life is found through the Creator's hand. When He begins to refashion the human heart so that it begins to reveal the image of His soul. Your body need not bow to the creations of your heart, but your heart must bow to the creator of your soul. Now, you may never have thought about this next subject, but this is actually huge. In fact, it's rather central to our faith. And that is the idea that God speaks. Now, idols don't speak. Why? Because they're not alive. 
they're inanimate. But God speaks. And because God speaks, we can know his heart. We can know his purposes. We can know his ways. So today we continue our Easter series and we're looking at a passage that describes who Jesus is. That's what we're doing in this series, looking at several of what are called the Christological passages in the New Testament. And so we come to Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4, where the Bible says, Long ago, God, what's our word? Say it with me. God, okay, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has, what's our word? Spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so he became higher in rank than the angels, just as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. Catch this now. God is not a lifeless statue, nor is God a mysterious force that Luke must follow. God has made himself known. God has spoken. Genesis talks about how God spoke and the world came into being. And as you read the pages of the Old Testament, you see that God spoke to Abraham. Often the angel of the Lord would appear and God would speak to Abraham. You remember Joseph and God spoke to him in his dreams. You remember Moses and God speaks to him through a burning bush. Israel, God spoke to them through His written law. Esther heard God speak in the midst of adversity. Ruth heard God speak in the clenches of grief. Rahab heard God speak through the voice of rescue. And Mary heard God speak as He led her to the divine call of motherhood. Male and female, rich and poor, Young and old can testify that God speaks. And much of human history is a story of those who have listened to God, and it's also a story of those who ignored God and ran from His call. So the Scriptures tell us in Hebrews chapter 1 that God speaks, and then it continues in verse 2. It says, In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. You see, the prophets of the Old Testament, they were ambassadors. They spoke on behalf of the king. They spoke what God had revealed. The same could be said of the angels. They are messengers of God. And so they speak on behalf of the king. But then one day, everything changed. 
One day, the king himself took on flesh. The scripture describes him here as the heir of all things. We saw last week, and we see again in this passage, he is not just the heir of all things, he is the creator of all things. The creator of the universe spoke. Now, I don't know about you, but if God speaks, I would like to know what he said. So, what did God say? Well, look at verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So not only did God speak, the Son has spoken here. And what does it say here about the Son? The Son tells us that if you want to see God, look at me. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Hebrews says here, the Son radiates the glory of God. The Son does not merely reflect the image of God. The Son is the image of God. The Scriptures say the exact expression of His nature. Now let that sink in. When you read the life of Jesus, whenever you hear His words, whenever you think about who Jesus is, you, you are seeing, you are hearing from the exact expression of of the nature of God, the one who radiates the glory of God. And and there's more. It says here in the passage, even now, in this moment, the Son who created you. Remember the imagery last week from Colossians, how the Son is the craftsman. And so in Genesis, you have God speaking the world into existence. And in Colossians, you have this imagery of the Son fashioning it. And so He, 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 uh, he sculpts the mountains and He designs the intricacies of the human body. And the Son fashions the creation together. And even now, the Scriptures say, the Son who created you also holds you together by His Word. His Word is that which sustains. How powerful is the Son? It is by His power that you were formed. It is through His power that you are sustained. And it is in His power that you are redeemed. The Son is the exact expression of the nature of God the radiance of God's glory. When you see Jesus, you have seen God. And it was in this act of redemption that Jesus spoke the loudest. Jesus spoke the loudest when He took on the nails and the crown of thorns, when He took on death, tasted it, and overcame it through His power. He made purification for your sins. When Christ died for you, Christ spoke. And death no longer has its sting. The cross and the resurrection, they don't just speak to us, they scream to us, this is God. You want to know what God looks like, what God acts like. You want to know His character and His nature. Look to the cross and the resurrection. 
And there you see God doing what you and I could never do. There you see the Savior. Verse 4 tells us, So, He became higher in rank than the angels, just as the name He inherited is superior to theirs. You see, we do not worship the angels, for they are mere messengers of the king. We have no need to bow before inanimate statues created by human hands. Hear him now. You don't need to chase anyone else's life. You don't need to worship somebody else's call, somebody else's body, somebody else's bank account, somebody else's family, somebody else's fame. You don't need to chase anyone else's life. You have no need to worship at the altar of power, fame, and fortune. Idols do not mean anything to you because God has spoken to you. And in Christ, we have the pearl of great price. God has spoken. And in Christ, you have all you ever need. Christ is not a vehicle to take you to your preferred destination in life. Christ is the destination. And because the Son has spoken, because the Son has spoken through the cross and the empty tomb, you and I have forgiveness for our past, purpose for our present, and hope for our future. Because God spoke, because the Son acted, you and I can relate to God not just uh, as the holy creator of all, but we can also relate to God as our Father. And we are His children. The one who sustains the universe says, Come to me and know me. I want you to be my child. And because the Son has spoken, we, the church, have gathered. That's why we're here. Because the Son has spoken, we gather. Now, why do we gather? Do we gather to see our friends? To get some taquitos from Whataburger? To get a good lesson? Why is it that we gather? I like taquitos. I like good lessons. And I like friends. But the reason why we gather is to worship the living God. We're here to worship. That's why we're here. And so whenever we gather, we speak what God has spoken. That's why it's so important if you're a life group teacher or if you are a preacher that you not just teach your ideas, but you teach what God has spoken. And so we speak what God has spoken to anyone who will listen and the God, that the God who created you can renew you. And at the core of our message is this truth that Jesus is Lord of all and He is Savior. 
to all who believe. Jesus desires to be Savior to you and to me. And he calls us to believe. You say, well, what do I need to do to have salvation? Where do I need to go? How much do I need to give? What do I need to do to have salvation? Jesus says, just believe. I've done it on your behalf. I call you to believe in me. I do want to say this. If there's never been a time in your life where you personally have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about what it means. We call it being saved. And I would like to help you. I'd like to be a pastor to you. And so if there's never been that time in your life, would you come see me? I'll be here at the front during this song in a few moments, and I'll be here after the services as well. We can talk through it. If you have questions, I'll try to help you. If you can't find me, or if for some reason... For some reason, I'm scary to people sometimes. So if for some reason, you know, I'm just a scary guy, you know, find your life group teacher or find somebody that you can talk to and, and talk through this idea. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord? Because that's the call of the gospel. That's why we're here. And because the Son has spoken, those who believe gather to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. How do we proclaim that? We sing. Singing is the language of the soul. It is biblical. And so whenever we sing, we are proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. Whenever we sing, this should not be your posture. Nor should this be your posture. Whenever we sing, you should let it rip. We should hear you. When the church gathers, there should be energy in the room because we are proclaiming that Jesus is Lord and we sing praises. We give offerings. Did you know that your giving of an offering is an act of worship? The Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians, a cheerful giver. How, how does that work? How can I be a cheerful giver whenever I'm, I'm asked to write a, a, a tithe check? 10% of my income, I'm supposed to give this to the Lord. How can I be cheerful about that? Because whenever you give that, it says you're not worshiping money. And you also realize this. Everything that you have comes from the Lord. <laughs> now, whenever you get that in perspective, Everything that you have comes from the Lord, and so you give an offering back to Him. It's like, you know, I can't outgive Him. Everything I have comes from Him. You know, one time, one time, my uh, daughters wanted a, a, a package of sweet tarts, and so I got them a package of sweet tarts, and they were sitting there eating it, and I was like, "Can I have one?" And they were like, "No, <laughs> they're mine." I'm like, "But I gave it to you. But it's mine, you know." Well, a cheerful giver understands that God gave it to us. All of it comes from Him. And so whenever we give back to Him, it's an, it's an act of worship. We sing, we, we give, we, we, we pray, we listen to His voice, we study His Scriptures. Because we do not worship a lifeless God hiding behind the veil, 
contained to statues created by human hands. We worship the living God who is alive for all to see. The Holy One who created you and sustains you and invites you to know Him, to love Him, to sit in His presence and enjoy His goodness. Can we worship Him today? Can we worship Him? Just proclaim His goodness and sing His praises. Would you be so kind as to bow your head, please? As a church, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And as I pray, I would just invite you right where you are to pour out your heart to God. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever's going on in your soul, just talk to the Lord today. If you, you feel the need to come and pray here at the altar today, you can come and pray at the altar. If I can pray with you about anything, it's my joy to do so. The band's going to come, the choir's going to come, and they're going to lead us in singing. And I want to encourage you just to sing from the, from the depths of your heart and to let God hear your voices. We're going to take an offering where we give back to the Lord. There may be someone here that needs to come and, and accept Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe God is leading you to some decision in your life. Perhaps God is leading you to be a part of this church. Maybe there's something that I can help you with. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you, and I'm so very, very thankful that we are not worshiping a God that was, that we can say the Lord is my shepherd, that Jesus is Lord, because you are the God that has been, is, and always will be. You are alive. And in you we have life. In you we find the sustenance that takes us through each and every moment. And so Lord, we as a church have gathered in this room today and we have come from our homes, from different cities around the community. We have different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different perspectives, different gifts, different stories. In some cases, we may even have different languages, but Lord, we have one Savior and one Lord, and that is who we worship today. And so, Father, in these coming moments, we simply desire to make much of Jesus. He's our Savior and Lord, and we thank you, Father, that you are not an unknown God, but that you are known, that you have spoken And we gather to worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray and worship.